You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 through verse 7. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 through verse 7. I'm reading from the NIV translation. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as a people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke of burden uh, that burdened them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors, every warrior's boot used in battle. And every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Then these next two verses is really going to be our focus this morning. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this great promise. Help us now, Holy Spirit, to receive these words. I pray this will not be just another Christmas message, that we will receive this every, um, everything that you have for us here, God, I pray will settle deep into our hearts and that we will be transformed more into your likeness. And it's in Christ's name that I do pray and ask these things. Amen. You may be seated. I know there's a debate over when you should start celebrating uh, or decorating Christmas. Um, some of you do it right after Halloween. Uh, apparently Troy's one of those. Um, some of you wait till after Thanksgiving or when it gets closer to Christmas. Uh, as for me and my family, we started a couple weeks ago. I actually made a run to Hobby Lobby. Some good deals there right now, by the way, for those interested. And we went to go get, uh, a lot of decorations for the inside of our house. And one of the decorations I was most excited about is this little Christmas calendar. And as you can see, it's got these little doors on there that correspond with the different dates, January 1st or 25th. And, and you can pull them out. And then our plan is to have some candy in there for each of our kids and a Bible verse they can read. And, and the whole point really of this calendar is it's, it's, our attempt to try to help our kids live with anticipation for Christmas Day. It's to help them to learn how to count down the days to the day that we celebrate the birth of Jesus. And that's great. But here's the thing. I thought about this week as I was working on my message that as, as nice as this is, it's not really real life. Because in the real world, we don't have a date that is attached to our waiting, if that makes sense. We don't know if or when we will get that thing that we are waiting for. For example, you don't know if you're ever going to get a better diagnosis. Uh, you don't know if your marriage will be restored or your children will turn to Jesus. You don't know when the season of loneliness is going to end. And therefore, when it comes to our waiting, maybe for some of you in the room today or listening online, uh, rather than counting down the days with anticipation, you feel like you're counting up the days 
with a greater increase of anxiety and disappointment and possibly even despair. Uh, Lewis Smead explains it this way. As creatures who cannot by themselves bring about what they hope for, we wait in the darkness for a flame we cannot light. We wait in fear for a happy ending we cannot write. We wait for a not yet that feels like a not ever. Waiting is the hardest work of hope. Some of you know exactly what he is talking about. You've been waiting for something or someone for a very long time, and maybe you're starting to wonder if you're not yet is actually a not ever. For some of you, you're waiting to get married. For others, you're waiting for a marriage to get restored. Talked to a woman early, uh, earlier that we prayed together for the service. She's waiting for her husband to give his life to Jesus. Some of you are waiting for physical healing. Others are waiting on emotional healing or relational healing. Some of you are waiting to have children. Others of you are waiting for your kids to get out of the house. Uh, some of you are, in the words of John Mayer, waiting for the world to change. Um, anybody? John Mayer? Uh, some of you are waiting for things to return to normal. Um, a lot of us pastors are waiting for still like 30 to 35% of our church to return back uh, from, you know, the days of pandemic. No matter who you are or where you come from, the point is just this. We are all waiting. And the reason we are waiting is because we are people by God's design who have been hardwired for hope. And so, for example, if you're a Razorback fan, why, even if the Razorbacks are an underdog, do you watch them play a team like Alabama? Because you hope until the very, you know, the clock runs out, you still hold out hope that they are going to somehow pull off an upset. Or if you're a hunter, you go hunting. I personally am not a hunter. Some of you are. That's great. Um, the reason you go sit in a tree stand or you stand in the freezing cold is because you, you know, hope to bag that big buck or get the ducks or whatever it is that you're trying to kill. Um, for those of you that are on social media, why do you post pictures of your kids? Because you hope someone will say, what a beautiful family. Right? You hope someone will comment or like the picture. Hope is the reason we get married. It's the reason we take a job. It's the reason that we have kids. Uh, hope motivates us. It moves us forward. And quite literally, it keeps us alive. That is not an exaggeration, by the way. I read a medical uh, study sometime back on how hope affects our health. Uh, it's a study which consisted of 122 patients, all of whom suffered from life-threatening diseases. And here's what they discovered. Of the 25 most pessimistic patients, 21 of them died within eight years. Whereas out of the 25 most optimistic patients, only six had died. Uh, the medical journal, uh, the big conclusion was this, that losing hope increases a patient's odds of death by 300%. 300%. Um, my takeaway from that is that it's far better to eat at Waffle House and be hopeful than eat a kale salad in despair. And so, um, amen. Uh, this is just affirming. What the Bible's been saying for thousands of years, for example, King Solomon in Proverbs thirteen twelve says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. There is literally a sickness. There's an issue we begin to have physically with our bodies and emotionally that comes when we lose hope. This is why I've heard it said that you can live two months without food, a week without water, a few minutes without oxygen, but you can't even live a moment without hope. Hope is essential for life. It's essential for keeping us moving forward even when the wind is not to our backs. And therefore, the question I want us to consider as we look at our text today is, how do we learn to wait and hope 
how do we do this? Like, like, how do we wait and hope when, when the days keep counting up? When it seems like God has gone silent? When it seems like the healing's not going to come or the relationship's not going to be restored? How do we carry with us an unshakable, defiant hope? Well, in order to answer that question, look back with me now in Isaiah 9, verse 2, where we read the following. It says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. In the first nine chapters of Isaiah, we see why the people of God are in darkness. Um, and what we learn is that though there are times where we find ourselves in darkness, and, and it's not because of something we've done, it's just because we live in a fallen, broken world. Uh, there are also times where we find ourselves in darkness because of things that we actually have done. And that's what we see right here in Isaiah chapter 9. There are people walking in darkness, not because of the evil out there. They're walking in darkness because of the evil inside of here. Uh, there are people that over and over, despite the fact that God has pled with them and he's warned them, he said, please turn from your sins and turn back to me. They refuse to listen. They refuse to repent of their sins. And as a result, though they continue religious activities like this, Their hearts are far from God and therefore they find themselves in a place of darkness. And that's the bad news, but here's the good news. Think about this. It is right here in this place of darkness that Advent begins. Which is a reminder to you and me today that it's in a place of difficulty. It's in a place of disappointment or despair. It is in the place of darkness that God will oftentimes do his best and brightest work. I think of Jonah in the belly of a well for three days. And it's there in the darkness God begins to do work in Jonah's heart. I think of Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, who was depressed and suicidal. I feel like he was all alone. Nobody would listen to him. And it was there that God revealed himself and he wrote the book of lamentation and we have the book of jeremiah which has been a huge blessing to the church for thousands of years Um, the prophet elijah was on the run afraid for his life and it was in a dark cave that he heard the still small voice of god job had lost everything and it was in the darkness he proclaimed this god my ears had heard of you but now my eyes have seen you how awesome is that It was in the place of darkness where he said, you know, I've heard rumors about you, but now, like, you've gone from rumor to reality. I think of the Exodus story, the great story of deliverance where God brought his people out by night. How about this? How about the cross where Jesus, before he drew his last breath, the scripture says darkness came over the whole land. And it was there in the darkness we know that Jesus was dying for the forgiveness of the sins of the world. And then three days later, in the darkness of a tomb, he rose from the dead, conquering sin, death, and hell, so that you and I can now stand holy and blameless before God. God, over and over, is famous for doing some of his best work in the dark. And therefore, what that means is if you find yourself today in what feels like a dark valley, you don't have to lose hope because God is there, and oftentimes he works in the darkness. In verse 2, it says, this is where the people of God are. They are in the dark, and it is in the darkness. It is in the despair. It is in the dysfunction. The prophet Isaiah delivers a message of hope and what he wants the people of Israel to see and what he wants you and me to see today is that no matter how dark it gets, you can have hope, he says, because light is coming. You can have hope because joy is coming. 
Because love is coming. Because peace is coming. And according to the prophet Isaiah, all of this is coming how? Through a child. It's coming through a child. Last year, people were enamored with a child. And this child came on the scene unexpectedly. And this child swept many up. Um, People were just swept up by the impact that this child had in such a short time. And this child's name is actually Baby Yoda. (laughs) Got any Mandalorian fans in here? All right. Mandalorian, for those of you that don't know, you should know, is a Star Wars series on Disney+. Plus. It was the most watched television show last year in the United States. It's wonderful. And uh, the character that stole the show here is known as The Child. Um, and there are many people who want to kidnap this child, who want to kill this child, who want to use this child uh, for their own benefit. I mean, literally the entire story centers on this child. And as I thought about that, I thought, you know, long before the Mandalorian, Isaiah also gets a vision of a child. It says, for unto us a child is born and a son is given. And this child, who is the hope of the world, is not baby Yoda, but it is baby Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah, who 700 years after this vision would shine light into the darkness. And according to John and John 1, the darkness has not overcome him. And what Isaiah says to the people of Israel and you and me is, listen, guys, if you want an unshakable hope, if you want a defiant hope, here's how you get it. It is by fixing your eyes on the child. This is what Advent is all about. It is about putting your hope. It is about, it is about putting your hope, listen, not in, in something or someone under the sun, but ultimately in the Son of God, the one who had come into this world as a child. And if you're like, heard it before. Another Christmas message, blah, blah, blah. How does Jesus give me hope? Well, I'm glad you asked because Isaiah goes on to tell us. And here's what I want to encourage you to do is I read this list. Would you just do this right now? You don't have to close your eyes. Would you ask the Holy Spirit to make this real to you? This is the most famous Christmas passage in the Bible and therefore, it's, there's a great danger of hearing this as a cliche. Listen to the description of this child. For unto us a child is born and a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In the time we have left, I want to unpack these words because, listen, what Isaiah is doing here is he's not just describing what this child is like and what this Messiah is like. He wants you to begin to experience Jesus in this way, not just in some distant future, but today. Today. And if you notice in here, the very first power this child possesses, according to Isaiah, is that he is a wonderful counselor. As we come to the end of a year, You have questions about your life, questions about anything from a vaccine to a vocation to family to questions about your health, relationships, politics, family, business, you name it. And as a result, you're like, man, it would sure be nice if there was someone there to help, you know, make sense of all these questions to kind of point me in the right direction. And one of the most miraculous and incredible things about Jesus is that he can be that for you. 
In Isaiah 21, it says the people of Israel were walking in darkness because they did what was right in their own eyes. The reason we find ourselves in a place of darkness and cynicism and just, you know, places that just honestly like just aren't good for us is because we begin to think we know better than God on how to run our lives. And so despite what he's told us in scripture, we just kind of say, I know what he's told me, but I'm going to do my own thing. And therefore we end up in a place of darkness. I was talking with this woman this past week at Shadrach's uh, in downtown Jones where I'm working on my sermon, have my Bible out. She comes up to me and she says, oh, I love to see someone who has a physical copy of the Bible. And um, I could tell when she was speaking, she had an accent. I was like, oh, okay. So I was immediately intrigued. And I'm like, well, why do you say that? And she said, well, I'm from Germany. I'm just here for business. And she said, but I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home had never heard about Jesus. And then I read the scriptures. And she said, after a place of just deep darkness, of trying to do life my own way, of being in despair, she said, I finally just called out to the Jesus that I read about in the Bible. And I said, I just want to do whatever you've told me to do here. And she said, you know what? Though I've not done it perfectly, I've done the best I can to take his counsel, to take his advice. And as a result, she said, I can honestly say right now to you as a stranger, I am perfectly light and content. What has she discovered? That Jesus really is a wonderful counselor. Do you know him like that? Do you know him in that way? Jesus is a wonderful counselor. And listen, not just because he knows the path you should take, but you know what makes him so wonderful? He's taken the path before you. He has already experienced whatever you're going through long before you ever went through it. He has been in your shoes and therefore he can say with complete honesty, I completely understand If you've lost a loved one and you're like, man, nobody knows what it's like for me to go through this holiday season. Jesus says, I know. If you've been despised or rejected, overlooked, judged, wrongly, abused, abandoned, Jesus says, I get it. If you experience hardship or heartache or maybe you're facing an incredible amount of temptation right now, Jesus says, I can relate. He is the wonderful counselor. He not only knows the path you should take, but he's taken the path before you. Secondly, we see in here, the reason he gives us hope is because he is a mighty God. He has the power to uphold us. I don't know about you, but I have very much needed to be upholded in 2021. There have been times where I have felt tired and weary and overwhelmed and frustrated. And if you can relate to that, listen, we can have hope today because Jesus is the mighty God. What that means is though he was fully human, he's also fully divine. And therefore, even when it feels like everything is spinning out of control in your life, listen, Jesus is not freaking out. He's not wringing his hands and be like, oh, what am I going to do? But the scripture is clear that if you will trust him, he will continue to work all things, all things together for your good. I think back to that line in verse six is the weight of the government is on his shoulders. Isn't that good news today to know that you don't have to put your hope, your ultimate hope in the president? Isn't it good news to know that you ultimately don't have to put your hope in medical advancements or in technology or in friends at school or a spouse or your kids or a job or even yourself, but rather all that you are and all that you need, your future hope and your happiness rest on the shoulders of Jesus. Isaiah 40, 31, Isaiah says, trust in the Lord and he will renew your strength. Anybody feel weary today? Trust in the Lord, he will renew your strength. You will mount up with wings like eagles. You will run and not be weary. You will walk and not faint. Later in Matthew 11, Jesus, looking at a people who were overwhelmed and exhausted, said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Guys, that is the one thing we are looking for that we are longing for.
not just a physical rest, but a spiritual and emotional rest. And Jesus says, I can give it to you. But here's the thing, listen. Some of you are like, well, why am I not experiencing it? Well, I don't know what it might be for you. But I will say this, by and large, the reason that we don't experience the power of God is because we're not willing to admit that we're weak. The Apostle Paul said it was only when I boasted in my weaknesses that I experienced the power of God in my life. Most of us are not willing to be weak. We're not willing to be vulnerable. We're not willing to acknowledge our need for Jesus and his grace and his mercy. And therefore, as a result, we miss out on the mighty power of God. When I was in college, I was a communication studies major, which basically means like all of my grades, I got all my grades by giving speeches. That's what I did. I just gave speeches and same with all my classmates. And I developed an unlikely friendship with an atheist named Jacob. Megan remembers him. Uh, he'd actually come to our college ministry some, despite the fact that he was an atheist. First, first, uh, I don't know if you were in that class. Megan was also a communication major. Um, the first uh, talk that he gave was on how Christianity is a virus to the brain. It's a 15-minute talk. Um, I thought, we're going to be good friends, me and this guy, you know. And But we would have great, honest conversations, very refreshing because it was honest. And one of the things he used to say to me was, you know, Christianity is for weak people, right? Another thing he'd say is, you know, Christianity is just a crutch. You ever heard that before? Christianity is a crutch. So I'm like, what do you got against crutches? Like, <laughs> crutches are actually good things, you know. Uh, Why well, you got to be a crutch hater? Um, but I used to resent that. Christianity is for weak people. But the more I thought about it, I was like, you know what? Actually, Christianity is not a crutch. Like, it's a defibrillator. Like, like Christianity is the machine that shocks you back to life. Because according to the scriptures, when you are born, you're not born just a little bit hurt with a little bit of a limp and you just need a crutch. Like, no, Ephesians 2 says you are born dead in your sins and therefore you need someone to shock you back to life. And according to the Bible, the only person who can do that for you is Jesus. Jesus is the only one who has the power to bring the dead to life. But here's the thing, guys. In order to experience this life, and then thank God I got a chance to talk with two people after the first service that I feel like this just happened for them. But in order for you to experience, to go from death to life, you have to admit that you are weak. You've got to become vulnerable if that's not too beneath you. And this is one of the things we can learn from AA I'm not sure how many of you have been in AA before. I know we have several in our church that have, but um, one of the first statements for Alcoholics Anonymous is, is this. They say, as addicts, we realize that we are powerless over alcohol and that our lives have become unmanageable. And therefore, because we are weak, we need a power. We need the power of God to rescue us. That's the first step, they say, to sobriety. So let me just ask you this before we move on. Where do you need to admit that you're weak this morning? Is it in your marriage? Are you fighting an addiction in your own power? Have you looked at porn again this week and you're like, that's the last time. From here on, I got it. And you know you don't got it. Where do you need to admit that you're weak? You need to stop trying to manage your own life in your own power and turn it over to Jesus. There you will discover he is a mighty God. He will save you. Next, we see that he's also an everlasting father. Jesus, when he came to this world, let's be honest, like he did come to rule. 
But he didn't come to rule as an evil tyrant. He came to rule as a loving father. As a father who is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. A father who is gentle and lowly, Jesus says in Matthew 11. You know what that means? It means that, I don't know what your father was like, but Jesus is the kind of father who is the most approachable and most accessible person you could ever lay eyes on. This is what Jesus came to give us. He came to give you and me the father that we all long for and need. He came to this earth so that through his life, death, and resurrection, we can go from being alienated and alone to being dearly beloved children of God for all eternity. And listen, I don't know about you, but man, I need to be reminded of that even this past week. Because there are times in my life, I'm telling you, I I sin, and I begin to wonder, man, if I sin too much, like, is it possible that I have somehow exhausted the compassion and the patience of God? And that is why, for me at least, I need this constant reminder that Jesus is an everlasting Father. Because what this means is that His compassion knows no end. He will care for you, and He will love you, and He will keep you. He will have your best interests in mind forever. No matter what you have been told, He will not give up on you. And you're like, well, how can I be sure? How can I know that He will always love me, that He will never give up on me? Because... Lastly, we see in this text, he's not only a wonderful counselor, not only a mighty God, not only an everlasting father, but he's also the prince of peace. Now, according to the scriptures, one of the things we all have in common in this room is that we are all sinners. Every single one of us. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. and The wages of our sin, the Bible says, is death. That doesn't just mean a physical death. That means a spiritual death. We have been detached from God. And that is the bad news, but here's the good news. Though your sin is big, God's grace is bigger. And therefore, listen very carefully, because this may happen to you today. If you want peace, maybe for the first time, if you want rest, you want joy, you want life, you don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to get all of your ducks in a row. You don't have to straighten yourself out first. You just need to go to Jesus as you are and trust. He has accomplished everything for you that you could never accomplish for yourself. The salvation and the satisfaction, the forgiveness and the freedom that you are longing for, listen, is not found in your performance, but it's found in God's passion. And that is the way the prophet Isaiah ends by saying in verse 7, the zeal of the Lord will do this. The zeal of the Lord. In other words, God is the one who makes this happen. He is the only one who makes this possible. He is the one who unleashes his mighty power and his authority and his resources to ensure everything that has been promised in the birth of Christ can now be delivered to you today. So here's my question as we begin to come in for a landing. Have you received this gift? Do you know Jesus in this way? My question is not, have you been baptized? My question is not, are you a member of our church? My question is not, did you pray a prayer? My question is not, do you like the idea of going to heaven when you die? My question is, have you received Jesus as he really is? For many of us, 2021 has been another hard year. Not all of us, but for a lot of you. Um, Some of you, you're coming to the end of this year, and I know because I've spoken with you, you feel like you have shrapnel in your soul. And as a result, maybe you're thinking about tapping out, about walking away, about giving up on this. And I just want to encourage you today, lift your eyes off of yourself and off of your circumstances and on to Jesus of Nazareth. Take to heart the promises that are here because he alone is the one who will give us an unshakable and defiant hope in dark times.
Guys, the reality is, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. Um, I know we're all looking forward to January 1st, but we're not going to flip a switch when we get there and all of a sudden everything's going to be amazing in your life. It's not going to happen. Um, we're all going to face the darkness. We're all going to continue to have hard times. Unmet expectations, struggles, death, all of that is going to be there. It's not going to go away. And that is why you need to anchor your hope in Jesus. Because he's a wonderful counselor, go to him and talk to him and listen to him. Because he's a mighty God, like surrender your life to him. Give up control. Jesus wants to be your savior, but he's not going to be your savior if he's not your Lord. Some of you are like, is Jesus for me or against me? That's the wrong question. The question is not, is he for or against you, but are you for or against him? He is definitely for you. That's what Advent tells us. Because he's a mighty God, surrender to him. Because he's an everlasting father, rest in his love. And because he's a prince of peace, let me encourage you today to confess your sins to him and trust that he will forgive you and that you can have peace with him. To help us focus on Jesus, two things I want to encourage you to do in the Advent season. I'll put these on the screen for you. Um, this Advent practice one is what I would just, I'm calling the no phone while waiting practice. Advent is all about waiting. It's all about longing. And so our day is filled with waiting. We just typically like feel it with swiping on our phone. Like we're swiping our lives away, guys. Like every time we, you know, get a chance, we're like right here. And so I want to encourage you, like while you're waiting, whether it's at a stoplight or uh, in the grocery store or while you're waiting on your food or uh, sitting on the toilet for some of you, I know that you do it. Um, just don't look at your phone. And you know what's going to happen? You're going to start feeling anxious probably and a little bit frustrated. Like, ah, like, But become aware of your waiting and ask yourself, like, what am I waiting for? What am I hoping for? What am I looking for? And then listen, invite Jesus into that space to be your wonderful counselor, your mighty God, your everlasting father, your prince of peace. So no phone while waiting. Turn that into a time of prayer, of communion with God. And then secondly, if you don't already have an Advent daily devotional, there's a very easy one. It's digital. You can get it. Go to thecommonrule.org forward slash Advent dash readings. We've put that on Facebook. We'll email that to you. And it's just a very short, you can do it in five minutes, Advent devotional to set your heart on everything that we just talked about okay two easy practices um let me end with this i know that for some of you it seems like the powers of evil are winning we see poverty we see disease we see injustice we see relational dysfunction we see the church in decline um we see evil not just out there. We see, we, we feel the evil and brokenness in here. And I want you to know this today. Please listen, we're done. If you will trust in Jesus, you can know that darkness is not going to have the final word in your life. Anxiety is not going to have the final word. Depression will not have the final word. Death will not have the final word. And like, well, Jared, how can I know? Because the people in darkness have seen a great light. And the darkness has not overcome it. Which means no matter how dark it gets around you, you can have hope. Because God is there. And it's there that he often does his best and brightest work. 
Wendell Berry, when writing about Advent, says it like this. I love this quote. It gets darker and darker and darker. And then Jesus is born. It gets darker and darker and darker. And then Jesus is born. Some of you are like, God, my life is so dark. God must be so far from me right now. Nope. The darker it gets, oftentimes the closer God is to breaking in. It gets darker and darker and darker. And then Jesus is born. 